Hi, welcome back. I'm here with my my buddy Daniel. How's it going? He's uh one of the brilliant guys who came up with our intro and outro song. I'm very thankful for. Uh, it wasn't just me. <laughs> for sure, it's collaborative, but um, I am still very much thankful. You, Shane, and Nate, right? It was the three of you. Yeah, you got to have them on here. I'd love to. Time we, as well. We could, I'm we sure they totally have, have some a, interesting perspectives for you. Absolutely. No, uh, Nate gave me some just really lovely feedback. So we're recording this after the first episode was released on Tuesday, and now it's Thursday. Um, and one of the members of Daniel's band, the Culture Society, he um, he sent me this wonderful. Um, just feedback like he was just being super nice um more nice than i deserve like it was pretty rough but we're figuring out as we go along but um yeah i love nate shane is such a kind gentle soul i love i love being around shane they're both stand-up guys for sure absolutely and everybody's just excited for you man i'm happy to be here as well heck yeah yeah i wanted you to be one of the first ones on it absolutely because i value your opinions i I definitely admire your mind and you know so much about music. And so that's what we're talking about today. That's right. Um, And for all you listening at home, I just want to make it very clear that he has given me one of the hardest prompts (laughs) in existence. Like he just kind of like threw this at me over text message. And I've been like sweating the past couple of days because I know that no matter what I have on my list, I'm still going to get crap for it. Yeah, That's all right. (laughs) It's the same for me, too. I've been sweating on my list. Um, So today we're talking about debut albums. Um, I tasked Daniel with making his top 10. Um, I have mine. I have a number of honorable mentions. Whether or not we'll get to them, we'll see, time permitting. But this has been the most movement on any list I've ever had to make in my life, for sure. Yeah, it's been it's been really hard to, like, narrow it down. And I also just want to make it very clear that the albums on both of our list aren't necessarily the ones that we feel are like just the overall best or the ones that we feel made the most impact. It's just solely a personal preference. Absolutely. It's personal taste. And a lot of the time those things are going to go hand in hand. Like quite a few of the albums on my list are kind of on there for that reason, because I just respect so much like what they did to the music industry and the direction that it was going as a whole. Absolutely. But that being said, you know, there's going to, you're going to disagree with us. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, certainly. (laughs) There's some stuff on my list that like, I know um, friends and family will give me hate over it, but I don't care because it's my taste. Um, So a little bit about debut albums. Um, It's not as important today as it was before in terms of you're either going to make it or break it on your first project. But back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, when there wasn't any way of getting your music out to anybody at a moment's notice, like now where we have audio uploading features on the internet, back when it had to be on a physical copy, making it, making your album as perfect as possible off the bat was the only way that you would know um, that you would have any sort of chance. Like, you had to throw in everything mm. into the first album. 
but you also have all the time in the world to come up with your first album. Yeah. There's definitely the, um, the double-edged sword because like you said, on one hand, I think a lot of people have the advantage where their first album are songs that they have been compiling throughout their entire life. It's very clear on yeah. certain records, especially um, a little bit of a sneak preview. Boston's first album, Boston, it's like eight singles. They're all yeah. bangers. It's, yeah, very true. Um, with certain artists, it's less so. It feels like a less cohesive project um, as it is for some artists. It feels like this. these are our top songs. Um, but certainly it's, you have to give it your all and it's the finest, um, cream on top of your music career for sure. Yeah. And, and I think a big part of that risk factor that you were talking about that kind of is a little bit antiquated today came from the fact that back in the day, these the record companies would be basically investing in yeah. these bands. You know, they're they're paying for their time in the studio. So if yeah. you have a, a band that produces a debut album and it's just kind of mediocre, it doesn't sell that well, they're probably going to get dropped off the record label. That's right. Um, you won't have a tour. You won't be able to, uh, based on the sales of your album, you won't be able to find another record company that's willing to invest in you because you're seen as a product your albums, even though they're yours, it's their audio engineers, it's their producers, it's mm. their equipment, or at least it's their money their funding money the studio. <laughs> yeah. And two, like these are physical products. They need to be created, they need to be stored, and they need to be um, distributed. So all of that, too, they take care of, which now we don't have to worry about basically at all. And even physically now, there are companies that will um, etch vinyls or burn CDs for, or you can just burn a CD at home. Um, we live in a totally different world when it comes to um, how easy it is to get your music out there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another thing that's kind of a double-edged sword. Obviously, like we can't go into it too much now, but it may be another interesting topic for a podcast talking about how there's this double-edged sword right now where we're living in a time period in which it's the easiest that it ever has been to create your own music and high quality music yeah. at that just from your bedroom or some kind of a home studio with affordable environment. high quality equipment. Yeah. Um, but that being said, because of that very fact, the market is also a lot more saturated. You have That's a lot more artists true. out there. And so it becomes a lot harder to kind of stand out from the crowd. Yeah. The, the days of the early internet are over now. There's not going to be as many frequent overnight hits as we've seen. I'm, I would hazard to guess, and maybe I will be proven wrong by this, but I think Post Malone might be the last we might see from that age of the overnight stardom. Um, I would love to be proved wrong, but... Um, I think he might be the last that we see post Malone where I believe it was White Iverson. He posted it online and overnight it had like 10 million views or some ridiculous yeah, he, number. He did blow up very quickly for sure. He was doing YouTube videos and stuff like that for a while. I think before he started like seriously recording music. I remember I stumbled upon one time that 
he has a, a channel on YouTube where he really? used to upload like covers and stuff where That's it's just neat. him playing an acoustic guitar. It's pretty interesting. He's definitely talented for sure. Oh yeah. His like his style of music isn't really something that I tend to gravitate towards too much, but just as an artist, Post Malone is an insanely talented dude. Absolutely. And he was just on the Joe Rogan podcast a week or two ago, and he is such a gentle, kind person. Yeah. He seems surprisingly down to earth yeah. for someone with his level of success. Absolutely. Um I don't have a whole lot more to say about debut albums. I think um I think we've touched on just about everything I wanted to um preface our our lists with, but I think what's um some final notes to talk about is um it's kind of unfortunate that this has become more and more a thing, but um branding and marketing have almost taken up the place now of the music that it seemed like how it was before. Like where a person will come out with an album and say, this is me, or this is us. This is what we represent. This is what we believe. This is our style. Where now it's, um, hey, come check me out on Instagram live. <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm, I'm dropping the album. Oh, I'm featured on some Disney Channel show. Um, it's unfortunate, but I think that might be the world that we're living now, in now where it's about the personality, not as much so the art that they're producing. Mm. That is a good point. Um, I, I think it definitely depends a lot on the genre of music as well. Um, like certain genres seem to be saturated a little bit more with stuff like that. Definitely. People tend to like gravitate more towards the really big personalities than they do like the music itself, but I definitely think that that's a factor and maybe it just comes from everything being as connected as it is now. Like now we actually have the opportunity where if a popular artist that you like has some kind of social media page, like you can actually get like somewhat into somewhat of a view into who they are as a person as that's well true. as their art, you know? Yeah. Whereas before you'd just be able to see like maybe the occasional TV interview or something like that, if the person was big enough. Yeah, or you just see them in concert for an hour, um, and then they're just these mythical figures in your eyes. And that I think a little bit of that has shaped history, where um, we value these artists of the 60s and 70s and 80s a lot higher than we do now. There's a whole lot of unfortunate talk of, and it's memed to hell, but... I've been born in the wrong generation. It's, oh, this, um, there's no good music anymore. That's untrue. There is a lot of great music coming out from a lot of people who deserve recognition for it all the time. But it just so happens that in our discussion today, we are talking about the greats of the 60s and 70s, well, uh, mostly. Like any time in history, I think that you just have to be willing to expand the effort to find it. Because, I yeah. mean, if you think about it, you know, it may have been like a, a only the hardcore music fans that were stumbling upon, you know, for example, like Led Zeppelin's first album in 1969. Like you're in a record store, you see this this vinyl that has like a Zeppelin coming down on the front. You're like, oh, what is this? Like this looks interesting, you know? Yeah. Um, so like you said, there, 
it's always going to be good music out there, but you just really got to put in some effort nowadays. It's true. <laughs> There's a lot to sift through. That's for sure. There's a lot to go through. Yeah. Um, also, one preface, pref- preface, preface. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> that I want to make before we start is that I thought this was only going to be the 60s and the 70s. Yeah. You did not tell me that the 80s were on board with this list. And if I knew that, then my list probably would have looked a lot different. Not like a lot, a lot different, but there would have been a couple yeah. artists in here um, that are not. There must have been some sort of mu- miscommunication and misunderstanding. I'll take 50% of the blame. I will um, show you the text messages right all now. Right. But in my, um, I assume that I'm just talking about debut albums in general. So I have some stuff that's in the 2000s. Talking about the greats of the 60s and 70s. Oh, okay. I played myself. This amazing album. Okay. That's on me. Um, I misunderstood my own prompt. Um, But we're we're still going to talk about some of our favorites. Yeah. Um, Either way, I'm stoked. Yeah. So do you want to start like chronologically? Because that's kind of how I wrote down my list. Okay. Um, I don't have mine chronologically. I don't have mine in really any order other than... This is how they came into my mind as I was writing them down. Um, so I guess in a way, they are kind of ordered because my most important ones are first and my less important ones are later. Mm. Um, but um, also some criteria. We, um, oh, I lost it. Um, it's just debut albums. They're not LPs. They're not EPs. Um, they're full projects, and they're by people you will or will not recognize. It's our opinion. You can put yours in the comments. Just, I think what he's trying to say is just don't flame us yeah. in the comments too much. It's, <laughs> it's a great way to start a discussion, because if you really do disagree with us, and I'm sure a number of mine are quite arguable, um, but it's personal taste. So, um, you want to go back and forth and then whenever we have like a shared one, we can, um, spend a little bit more time on it and then we'll go on. Sure. All right. Sounds good to me. You want to start with me? Uh, I can start. All um, right. so number one, I, like I said, I went chronologically, so I am starting things off here in 1961 with Dion's debut album, Run really? Around Sue. All right. And this was kind of like one that I was like going back and forth between putting it on the list or not, because it's like, it's his debut album as an individual, but as an artist, he had released work before under, um, he was with a band called the Belmonts for mm. a period of time. I haven't heard of them. Um, but I would say that his solo work got him a lot more recognition than that. and Especially that first is, album. Yeah, and it is his debut album, so I decided that it was it was worthy of the list. That um, That's a really good one. Um, he had popped into my mind as like a, hmm, that'd be like a good one. Um, I'm not sure Daniel will put that one in, but I know you love that album. I know you love Run Around Sue and um, the song and the album. Um he he kind of preserves that sound of the 50s but transforms it in a way into the era of the 60s that 
I think is very consumable and appealing. Yeah, it's awesome that you said that because that's basically exactly why it ended up having a place on my list because I thought that with that album being released in 1961, it was almost like the encapsulation of that generation. Absolutely. Like because it was very much influenced by the the sound that was happening in the 1950s that kind of like doo-wop rock and roll mm-hmm. kind of sound but the songs themselves are so high quality and granted um there's a few of them on that album that are covers from other artists but also the sound quality is it's amazing it for is. that time like I highly recommend listening to that album with a nice pair of headphones and you'll be blown away. Like I know I was. I think that would go for everything on our list though. We're yeah, not talking about any, any low hanging fruit here. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and a fun fact that I wrote down about just Dion as a person that I, I didn't know, but as I was kind of like doing research for the podcast, something I stumbled across I thought was really interesting was when he was a member of the Belmonts, he was going on like his first really major tour at the time because um, they had released a single that was gaining a lot of traction and getting really popular. And he went on a tour with Richie Valens and Buddy Holly. Hmm. And he was actually invited to go onto the plane. Really? That ended up crashing and killed them all. But wow. something, um, some kind of circumstances happened where he ended up turning down the offer. And that's why he was alive. still alive wow. to record Run Around Sue in the first place. Or lucky enough to have it because that's an amazing album. Yeah, seriously. And a great part, start to this list for sure. Um, I have my first one. And this this one's a given. This This one's a gimme. It's... If you're making a top 10 list, you're really making a top nine because you have this one on your list and it's Led Zeppelin one. That's on my list as well. (laughs) Yeah. Um, If you didn't, um, I would be super shocked, but also I would be, I'd be impressed to have um, just the balls to not put that on the list, (laughs) but it's, it's amazing. Um, it's the passion project of Jimmy Page, who was previously already, um, an established guitar player, a renowned guitar player in the UK. He handpicks his group that he wants to go forward with, and they release Led Zeppelin one, possibly the greatest debut album of all all time. So it's a, it's a high watermark that we're starting off this (laughs) list with. Um, but it's definitely um, considered one of the best albums, um, even in terms of um, of rock, even in terms of Led Zeppelin themselves. One is seen as a great album. Um, it's a little bit rough. It's not as polished as their future work, of course, because they're not um, ironing out their sound, yeah. but you're getting glimpses of it. And I think that's what's important. With all the uh, albums on my list, except for one, um, of which when we get to it, um, it'll explain itself. But I think what's possibly the most important thing about a debut album is figuring out your sound and what direction you're going into. Because until you get into the studio and you record 
and you finally are at a place where you're like, all right, I'm cool with this sound. Because at some point you have to say enough. Once you're figuring out your sound and that goes on and you're releasing great album and great album like Led Zeppelin was, um, I think that's what's pivotal. To see glimpses, to see songs that are then going to point toward later projects as, wow, this is the Led Zeppelin we've always had, only more. Absolutely. And there's a there's definitely a couple on my list that I put on for that exact reason. Like, it's not even exactly my, my favorite album by yeah. the artist, but you can just really see glimpses of the sound that they're starting to capture. And just Absolutely. that in itself makes it a noteworthy album. Yeah. And... Something that you mentioned about Led Zeppelin One was that it's a little bit like grimier than some of the other Zeppelin stuff, a little bit less polished. But I, I've always liked that about Led Zeppelin One. I've always thought that it kind of had a unique flair in that mm-hmm. way because it was like they hadn't fully figured out the transition from that kind of like hard, almost bluesy rock to the eventual sound that they would have. Yeah. There are some songs on that album where you can tell that like like this is Led Zeppelin for sure. No, like for sure. Um, Babe, I'm gonna leave you. Dazed, dazed and confused. Absolutely, it's a huge one where it's like yeah. this is this is Zeppelin. 100%. Yeah, this could have been on four or three, yeah. and you wouldn't have blanked. Yeah, exactly. But then there are some other songs on there like um, How Many More Times, um, Communication Breakdown. That's one of my that favorites. Are a little bit different than what you'd expect, but still like just very very cool. No, for songs sure. in themselves. Um, the great thing about this album is even though um, it's not as polished, it still is amazing. Like, if this band was only known for this album, it might still be on this list because it's that good. Um, yeah. But we are lucky enough to have, um, what, five? No, set like seven more albums? Yeah, of Led Zeppelin after um, that. Oh, One through four, Physical Graffiti, House of the Holy, Presence. Yeah, I don't want to get it wrong. I think it's seven. When did um? When did John Bonham die? He died in seventy nine. I'm not sure. Right. But uh, if we if we spend five minutes on every one, I could talk about Led Zeppelin one for two hours. But yeah, hundred um, percent. Um, one thing I did want to add though that may be kind of a, an explaining factor for why it has a little bit of a grimier sound as well is that it was recorded in 36 hours. Which, really? Yeah, I, I did not realize that. But I had when no I idea. was doing research, I found that out. That's that's crazy. Like, I cannot imagine cutting that record to tape in 36 hours. Like, that just shows the caliber of musicians Absolutely. That, that they were. Yeah. Even during that time when they hadn't fully nailed down their sound. These were all experienced studio musicians. Yeah, that were they knew what they were doing. 100%. Yeah. They were there for a reason because they they were handpicked, yeah. for sure. Um, what's your second one on your list, buddy? So my second one uh, skips a little bit ahead, and I put John Mayall and the Blues Breakers. Really? Yeah. I know that that's one of a, Justin's favorites. Yeah, that was a... That was another one that I was kind of debating on for a while, and it's very much a personal preference thing. Um, I don't think that they necessarily did anything to really drive a sound forward or like do anything crazy that hadn't been done before. 
But in my mind, John Mayle and the Bluesbreakers, that that first album that they had, it was like the encapsulation of the really dirty blues rock sound that was coming out of the UK during that time. And I'm a huge fan of that. It was a, a huge inspiration to me when I was first starting to play guitar. And I thought that that album was just a really good kind of representation of that movement that was happening during the time where a lot of these these guys in the United Kingdom were getting inspired by a lot of the the earlier American blues musicians mm-hmm. and kind of adding their their own spin to it where it was a little bit more technique oriented and like really trying to see what the guitar could do. Absolutely. It was pushing the limits. Yeah. And What's great about blues too is it's so guitar forward that as a person learning guitar, there's so much content there to learn. Yeah. And John Mayle and the Bluesbreakers is another band that's like an absolute super group. Um, on that first album, they had Eric Clapton play on a lot of the tracks. Really? Um, and then later on, believe it or not, I'm this may be one of the things that I get flame for, but <laughs> I'm actually not a huge Clapton fan. I, he does a great job on that album, don't get me wrong. But they ended up replacing him in 1966, uh, shortly after the album was released, with a guitarist named Peter Green. And I didn't really know about Peter Green that much until I listened to John Mayle and the Bluesbreakers, but that guy can play. I, I love his playing. Um, I highly recommend going and checking out a live album that they have from a performance in, I believe, 67, where they're playing a lot of the songs on their debut album in a live setting. And it's just, it's so cool to hear because they had a great sound and they were like, just super dirty, super grimy blues when you hear it Mm. live, especially. Um, And in that recording, it's Peter Green and that guy can play. Like you listen to it and it's really, really low quality. Like uh, it must've been captured on, you know, some kind of a handheld tape kind of thing, like literally just sitting at a table in whatever club that they were at. So it's not super high quality, but even that, like, it's a really, really great performance. And I, I think that that live album is another like really good example where you can kind of hear how these these like new hotshot players were like really pushing what the guitar could do hmm. using the genre of blues. That's definitely one I need to check out. Um, yeah, just you talking about that, it makes me so inspired to listen to that because um, I could just tell that like you've made a connection with that album very clearly. And that, um, I, I think that's what's so neat about music in general is that it's so personal. Um, but that's, what's the best part about it. It's, um, if we could choose, we would choose all the music to be our type of music, but we can't. So we don't, we have the music that we like because it makes our brain feel good. <laughs> um, for <laughs> lack of a better word. Yeah, no, for real, <laughs> for real though. Um, but that, that's just the thing though. Um, again, reminding, um, like we are all very different tastes in music. Um, I would say me and Daniel have a fairly similar taste in music. We have yeah, our differences. We do, for sure. Um, I would say out of the friend group, the, probably the two of us have the most similar taste in music. Um, yeah, I agree. we've got, We've got some dudes on the outskirts in our friend group <laughs> as well. 
Um, and I know Harrison's listening because Harrison's editing this. And um, I won't get into it, but man, has your music taste changed a lot since you left us, buddy? <laughs> um, I was gonna, I was gonna just throw in there real quick before we transition onto another album. Sure. Um, and I think a lot of the picks on my list are going to be influenced by my guitar playing journey as well. Um, I think that the sixties and seventies were a time in which like the limits of the guitar were really being pushed. And so I found a lot of my inspiration kind of comes from this period in history. And, and I think that like part of the reason why that, um, the John Mayle album holds a really special place in my heart was because I found it somewhat early on in my journey with playing the guitar and I really glommed on to that genre of the the dirtier, grimier blues because blues is, it's a very simple improvisation scales for a beginning guitar player, but it gives you a lot of chances to like really dig into the guitar for the first time and mm. like try to learn how to like play with feel. And that's one of the most satisfying feelings in the world is when you're just like completely in the moment and playing the blues, like mm. playing the blues and, and feeling it as you're playing. And you can tell that John Mayle is feeling it <laughs> in that album. Do we want to go to our, um, my second one? Let's hear it. All right. Um, this band has a special place in my heart because me and Daniel went to um, one of these shows live and I turned 18 at like their eighth last tour that they were ever going to do. This is on my list as well. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I figured it's Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath. Dude, we could make a whole podcast about this album, I'm sure. We were, oh my gosh, it'd be so easy. Um, this album is... I honestly sometimes have a loss for words for this album because it's just cool. It's it's the sound of cool. It's It feels like you're on a wide landscape. It feels like just music is just pouring out and exploding everywhere Mm. it sounds so cool it's um it's heavy it's dreary at times it's um metaphorical and it's got some weird moments um obviously (laughs) because the person that's the head man for it's ozzy osbourne um but it's also got one of the best guitar players out there and probably the dude who makes the most iconic riffs yeah. out there, which is Tony Iommi. Yeah, and I highly recommend um, if anybody that's listening is interested in Tony Iommi, Gibson's YouTube channel, Gibson, like the, the guitar brand, has a pretty extended interview that they did with him recently. That's It's close to an hour, and it's, oh, wow. it's so good. Like It's just him talking about basically his entire career in a nutshell, like how he started and like how he got to where he was today. And there's just a ton of super interesting stuff in there and a lot of like insight into both the early Sabbath days and kind of like the direction that they went later on. That's so neat. Um, I've always had, um, I, I don't know what it is, but I've just had like a sort of affinity for Tony Iommi um 
there's just something about him, and I can't even place it if I wanted to, but there's just something about um, the way he dresses and plays and um, has missing fingers and yet is still amazing. Um, That was what really did it for me, I think. Um, Because just being completely candid, I think that part of the reason the first black Sabbath album has such a special place in my heart was because, you know, everybody knows about black Sabbath. Everybody knows paranoia. That's not true. And um, that's, people don't know their discography for sure, but no, I don't no, know. Like, I dated a girl who didn't know who Ozzy Osbourne or black Sabbath were. How's that? How's that possible? I know. Like that, that is a special case for sure. She didn't know who Led Zeppelin was either. I think she just... Is she like a Mormon or something? <laughs> she was in her special underwear, bro. It protects you from satanic music. Um, no, it's, that's a topic for another day, but I swear to God, there's still people out there that don't know. In Southern California, where we live, oh. that don't know who Black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin are. Man. Which is that's disappointing. Like, yeah. I I feel like at that point, you almost have to like go out of your way to not know. <laughs> it's like Star Wars. It's like never having heard of Star Wars. That's a, an exaggerated example because it's such a mega franchise. But Black Sabbath, like you look up the Fathers of Metal and Black Sabbath is probably one of the ones up on the list. Yeah. Well, I mean, even if you don't necessarily know like black Sabbath and you don't know their albums and stuff like that, I feel like they're one of those bands where they're so huge and they've had such a huge impact on music that some of their songs are just like subconsciously in people. Yeah. You know, like it's like there are always those songs where somebody will, will say something about them and you're confused. And then they're like, hold on. And they play like the first five seconds of it. And you're like, Oh, Okay, yeah. and I feel like that's Black Sabbath, you know. Black Sabbath, um, and with some of the other ones on this list, but I I personally feel like their music, um, in one word, is iconic. You've got um, songs like Iron Man, um, Luke's Wall. Um, you've got Crazy Train, which I think that was an Ozzy Osbourne one. I don't think yeah, that I was. Yeah, I think that was his solo career. Yeah. Um, you've got amazing hits on each of his albums that are so prolific in our culture. They're everywhere. Like Ozzy Osbourne was in a World of Warcraft commercial <laughs> back in the day. I feel like I remember that. Yeah, he used the Prince of Darkness, TV. whatever. Yeah, <laughs> along with uh, Mr. T with his. Uh, um, I still remember this to this day. In the game, I'm pretty sure this is how it worked, but. If you logged in, you would get an item that was a mohawk grenade that you can throw at people and it changes their hair into mohawks. I'm pretty sure. Interesting. Which is hilarious. <laughs> um, but yeah, Black Sabbath is another one we could talk forever about, but we've got to keep moving. Yeah, I, I would. I think that I would throw in as a, a closing statement on on that album that it's not like it's another one where you listen to it and it's not so much traditional black Sabbath. Like if you were to listen to say master of reality and then come back to black Sabbath, black Sabbath, it kind of has a different sound where you can tell that they're still figuring it out. But at the same time, like 
that title track basically tells you everything that you need to know. The it's first true. song on the album is, and I, I, I believe that I've heard Tony Iommi talk about it as being like the turning point for them. Like as mm-hmm. soon as they wrote that song, that was where everything changed and they kind of figured out like, oh, okay, this is the direction that we want to go in. Like That's these cool. are the kind of songs. Which is hilarious because forgive me if I'm wrong, but it's Black Sabbath on the album Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath, right? That's right. The triple title. <laughs> yep, the triple threat. <laughs> All right, what you got? What's your number three, buddy? So my number three, chronological order, um, it is The Doors, Oh, 1967. That didn't make the cut for me. No. It was hard to push that one off the list, but I had ones that I felt needed to be on the list. But that's an amazing album. Yeah, it was. That was. I was for sure debating about it. I know Harrison's probably going to be upset at me. <laughs> yeah. For... <laughs> no, no, no. To be fair, he's like, this is their only good album. Oh, okay. I, I didn't. Which I haven't is heard him understandable, say that. but he's also not a huge fan in general. Yeah, I just know he's not a not a big Doors fan, or I think he's not a fan of Jim Morrison. But he also likes Kiss, so yeah. I kind of I take, and he likes take thrash, his views metal. with a, a grain of salt. Absolutely. <laughs> But I, I included it on my list as I think that what really stands out to me about that album was it was a point in history in which the counterculture was kind of becoming a part of the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Because you listen to The Doors and it is extremely avant-garde. Like even today, like you listen to that album and, you know, it would be pretty out there by today's standards. Yeah, even but still it kind of showed like the cultural changes that were happening during that time because it was a massive success. Like it was a huge best-selling album at the time, you know, the doors were playing the Hollywood bowl and all this stuff. So I think that it's very interesting to me personally, because it shows a time period in history where people were starting to become a little bit more open-minded with their music and perhaps just with their, their art consumption in Mm -hmm. general. I agree. Um, the Doors, and I'm trying to refrain from making any puns right now. <laughs> um, they paved the way, I'll say, instead of open the door, um, of which I just said it, which I apologize. Um, for a lot of the artists that um, are counterculture um, icons of this day, I would say. Yeah. They made a huge impact in um the youth culture of that time absolutely that's undeniable yeah like jim morrison or not i think that that is definitely indisputable and i mean i'm kind of on the fence about jim morrison just as a person and an artist myself like i i think that a lot of the talent that was in the doors didn't even necessarily come from him his um his keyboardist and the guitar player, I always forget how to pronounce his name. It's like Ray Manzanak or, or something like that. I know it's Ray something, but the guitar player was amazing. And he was a classically trained guitarist. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was when he was playing on stage, it's really interesting to watch him because he's doing like the open finger technique and he's not using a pick, which That's is like neat. really crazy for the sound that they had. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I think that like Jim Morrison or not, it's pretty undeniable to state that he had a pretty massive cultural influence. Yeah. And it's worth a listen regardless. Like we're talking about these things that 
aren't essential to enjoy the music, uh, but they are interesting to talk about. But it's, I would say, like with all of these, it's worthy of a listen. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm a little bit partial to The Doors as well because they kind of came out of somewhat local, like Los Angeles area. So I'm most of mine, I'm pretty sure, are either foreign or East Coast. Um, but we'll see as we're going along. Um, What's your, are we on three? Or? Yeah, three. So I have been listening. I can't stop listening to this album, dude. Um, the first like four songs on this album are insane. I cannot imagine living in a world where this album doesn't exist and then this album getting released and then that sound exists. We're talking about Van Halen's first album, Van Halen. The most insane guitar playing. Um, This may come as a surprise, but it's actually not on my list. It was my runner-up, though. I was planning on mentioning it as a runner-up. I was like going back and forth so much between whether I wanted to have it on the list, but what, what it really came down to for me is that Van Halen, Van Halen was one of the most significant albums to ever happen for guitar playing in general and Absolutely. advancing the techniques that guitarists are using. But just as far as like my own personal preferences are concerned, it was at like a number 11 spot. <laughs> okay, that's totally fair. Um, but you got to admit, Eruption is some of the most insane guitar playing. Oh, yeah. Um, it's... Forgive me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure when they played live, Eddie would play backward because he didn't want people seeing how he was playing. Yeah, I've heard that as well. Um, I mean, someone someone told me that at some point. I didn't even read that anywhere. Um, <laughs> so who knows if that's true? It's a good story regardless. Um, but I, I just I love that, that he's so protective of his, and to be fair, insane guitar playing. I know I keep yeah. saying that. I mean, but if you listen to... Van Halen's first album, um, and listen to the first couple songs, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, man, it's it's rock at a pace and a speed that a lot of their contemporaries didn't have. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something to be said for the fact that guitarists to this day are still trying to emulate that sound. Oh, for sure. He created such an iconic sound with so little materials like nowadays you know i'm i'm running a crazy amp simulator through my my pedal board with 10 pedals on it into my daw on my pc where mm-hmm. i can like further edit and manipulate the sound and van halen is you know he's had a couple of things to modify his sound but he's just plugging into a marshall He's just modified strat and turning that thing all the way up. Like it's a lot of respect. (laughs) It definitely is. That is for sure. Um, And what I like about Van Halen one as well is that it has a little bit of like influence in there that you wouldn't expect where like some of the songs I, I was actually listening to it like really recently. I was listening to a couple songs on it yesterday and some of the songs almost sound like they're a little bit more 
like Motown or like rock and roll inspired where like you can tell that like they were trying to just make like really fun songs that yeah. they felt like people would be able to like kind of dance and vibe. Absolutely. To. Their, their stuff is super high energy. Um, a lot of the stuff that I have on my list is super serious and dark music Yeah, because generally that's how I like my music <laughs> in general, but their music, um, just thinking about their music makes me smile because it's absurd music. Yeah. It's so fast. It's loud. It's ridiculous. It's amazing. Um, what's your fourth pick, buddy? So my fourth pick, you, I have a feeling you have this on your list, but I'm not sure. It is 1967, The Velvet Underground and Nico. That's right. I got this one. This one... Um, with the <laughs> with the poster sticking right next to me. Yeah, I I have a poster of the album art on my wall. So. Yeah, we're talking <laughs> we're talking right next to it. Um, that if that wasn't on your list, I was gonna be really surprised. But um, shout out to Bree for putting us on to Lou Reed and Velvet Underground. I don't know why it took us twenty years to run across his music, but I'm very thankful. Seriously, shout out to Bree. <laughs> Um, yeah, Velvet Underground and Nico, um, really weird. One of the first, I would say, heavily psychedelically influenced albums, um, in the way that they do it. Um, Hmm. they're kind of all over the board. Um, it's kind of rock. Um, Nico singing is... Um, very unique. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's, that's, that's put it mildly. Sure. Um, but sure. so is Lou Reed's. Yeah, so. I, I don't, I don't mind Nico that much. Um, I'm not a huge fan of All Tomorrow's Parties, but I, I really like the song "I'll Be Your Mirror." That's mm, one of my favorites yeah. on the album for sure. And that is Nico singing that one. Um, from how I understand it, she was kind of like forced into the group somewhat by Andy Warhol's collaboration with them because he was, he was working with her at the time, but regardless, they produced a great album together. So they must've had a pretty good chemistry as artists. Oh, for sure. Like Venus and furs heroin. Um, those are my two standouts. Of course, Sunday morning is iconic. Yeah. Sunday morning is an amazing song. Um, I think, something that's interesting about that album is the very wide range of topics that are are discussed. Um, and I, I also, well, there's two things that I, I, there's a million different things that I love about it, but two of the things that really stand out to me is for one thing, I mean, it's basically alternative music It is in 1967. Yeah. And it's really, really trippy to listen to it because it's like it's kind of limited by the recording technology of the time like i you can kind of tell that if lou reed and the velvet underground had had access to all of the things that we enjoy today it probably would have been a very different album than it was but that being said it kind of gives it its unique cool flair where it, it has this kind of like the songs and the song structures themselves sound very modern and you can tell have just inspired so many artists from today, but 
the recording quality and the instruments that are chosen and everything is very yeah, very limited part. yeah and but you know like i said that's kind of what gives it its unique cool flair yeah it's got a flavor all its own that's undeniable and that's they are they're just a quirky group it's hard to um talk about um their music without um making it sound like you're judging them for being so kind of out of place and out of time with their music because it's just kind of odd. But that's the appeal. That's what's great about their music is that it's theirs and theirs alone. Um, yeah. And that is also um, kind of a hallmarker of some of the other song, other albums that I have on my list is very unique music. Yeah, uh, I think that Velvet Underground and Nico was one of those albums that wasn't really appreciated that much in the time, and it didn't see like this massive commercial success mm-hmm. or anything. But its influence is undeniable, and not just for you know things like alternative or psychedelic music, but you can tell there's some inspiration for punk and things like that in there as well. And kind of moving their sound kind of helped push that genre along as well i just think it's it's just a really like even if you don't necessarily like the album it is a hundred percent worth the time to listen to it yeah because you'll get a lot of perspective on how it influenced the artists of and a lot of different types of songs too which is cool about them as well yeah that's true their songs are very like like you may not love every song on the album, but there's a good chance that there will be one that you really groove with. Yeah, very true. Um, my next one, my number four is Father John Misty, Fear Fun. Um, me and Justin, who he was on the podcast last week, um, we gush about um, Father John Misty a, a fair amount. Um, He's great. And this is his favorite album, and this one's becoming my favorite of his as well. Um, the first song um, is, um, oh my gosh, why am I forgetting the name of it? It's, um, oh man, Dan- Hayden's, oh, what is it? Fun Times in Babylon. Oh man, Justin's going to kick my ass for that one. Fun Times in Babylon um, is becoming my favorite John Misty song, which is horrible that I forgot the name of it. (laughs) Um, But it is, um, it's folk inspired, alternative inspired, rock inspired. It's um, very sort of ballad inspired as well. It's very poetic. It's deep um and it almost sounds like a bob dylan who knows how to sing (laughs) in um in the 2000s so this album came out in 2012 so this is well out of (laughs) and i'm so sorry i got a list of 60s and 70s albums here and you're throwing out stuff from 2012 (laughs) um but it's it's such a wonder to listen to it's it's so much fun to listen to um, his later projects like Pure Comedy and God's Favorite Customer, um, as I'm listening to them, they're becoming 
kind of like how um, each of Chris, Christopher Nolan's movies are just like, okay, how much crazier can we get? Like how, <laughs> what's crazier than Dreams Within Dreams? Oh, like, um, like time travel and black holes and like, it's, it's absurd. So, um, that's just my one criticism with Father John Misty. I feel like he's trying to tackle something so big, especially on pure comedy, even though that might be my favorite album of his, but fear fun. It's a fun listen. It's worth a listen. If you like folky music, if you like dudes with pretty great vocals, yeah, um, he's got a great voice and it's fairly simple. Um, but he has some great instrumentation as well. Pure Comedy, I believe, won a Grammy for Best Production of the Year. Wow. Which is pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, that's my number four. All right. Yeah, we probably got to start to move kind of quick here if we want to make this in like any kind of reasonable time. Yeah, I'm so sorry, Harrison. <laughs> um, so my next one is Jimi Hendrix, Are You Experienced? Yep. From 1967. Um, I was thinking about moving mine up the list just so that because we were talking about amazing guitar influences, you can't talk about guitar without Jimi Hendrix coming up. No, 100%. I mean, like his playing or not, you cannot deny that Jimi Hendrix was one of the most influential guitar players of all time. Absolutely. I mean, it's undeniable. You listen to the things that he was doing in 1967, and I mean, it, it's similar to what we were talking about with Van Halen, where to this day people are still trying to recreate that sound and learn from his playing. You know, he's yeah. one of the most commonly studied guitarists out there. And um, to his credit, his live performances are my favorite part of Jimi Hendrix. His live recordings, like Live at Woodstock. Mm, gosh, that is such amazing an amazing, amazing album. album. Um, I'm planning on doing like a top 25 albums of all time list coming up here. Um, That's going to be a hard list to yes. make. <laughs> and that album, like I said, a rule for myself, like they have to be legit albums, no EPs, no LPs, no uh, live. No live. Mm. But that one might make me break the rule just to put one on there. Um, yeah, that album is just electric. Man. That, yes. You can, There's no better you, word for it. You can tell he's feeling it. That's yeah. all I got to say. Oh my gosh, that album is so good. But um, I mean, Are You Experienced? Like, It's an amazing album. Something that was pretty interesting that I found in my research was that it, was, it topped at number two in the charts at the time, but it was topped by Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Oh, that's so. just... <laughs> you can't go against that. Yeah. So Jimmy had timing. Some, some pretty thick competition, so we say. Um, oh, man. And that's... That album, if we were talking about also... If my list was, like, the greatest in terms of impact album, um, Sgt. Pepper might have been on my list. Um, but we're talking about debut albums here. Yeah, that's, um, I I didn't end up putting um, the Beatles on this list yeah, at all please, because uh, please please me. I'm pretty yeah, sure it's their first one. Yeah, it's it's not a bad album for mm-hmm. sure. I mean, it's good. You know, like pop kinda, rock. Yeah, rock and roll, pop rock, but it's just not really the Beatles. Like it's they hadn't really the change of Sergeant Pepper yet. is 
what I love about the Beatles. Um, but anyway, Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, what what can you even say about Jimi Hendrix that hasn't been said? Um, I think that like one of the things that Jimi Hendrix did was he had a pretty incredible understanding of all the nuances of crafting your sound with the guitar because he was using a lot of different effects together to create like this very cohesive and psychedelic sound that nobody had really achieved before. Yeah. And with an amazing stage presence as well. Like that's what really sold it. Man, seeing like videos of him playing live is just a crazy experience in itself because and say what you want about him, but he gave 110% in every yeah. single one of his performances, and it shows. It's unfortunate that um, some artists are just not good live. Like, my dad saw Van Halen, um, and they were drunk as a skunk, <laughs> and he said they were horrible. Um, I think they were at Yes Fest um, that he went to. What year was that? Um, oh, man, it must have been... I don't even know, um, a while ago, <laughs> I think maybe in the eighties, early eighties. Um, yeah, that's unfortunate, but, um, you said Scorpion was the best that weekend of all things. Um, Interesting. that's the thing about live shows though. Um, some people do it and do it well. And some people they're just on a tour because their manager at their, um, at their record, um, company told him like, Hey, like that's how you're going to make money. We make the money from your <laughs> records, but you make your money from touring. Yeah, that's very true. It's unfortunate, but it's true. All right. Sorry folks. This is where we're going to end this week. Uh, we went a little longer than we expected. Uh, I could, you could probably tell based on how we were going that we were not going to finish nearly in time. So, The next half is going to come out next week, so be looking out for that. But thank you for your patience, and thank you for listening this long. This has been the Art Adjacent Podcast, signing out.